0: Today's reading is from Ruth 2, 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant though i do not have the standing of one of your servant girls
1: okay Uh, good day in uh, today's message i wanted to build on one of the sub themes from last sunday uh, in speaking about spiritual fusion energy uh, from our Church Key Verses, um, I noted that God's energy uh, or work or activity, they're all synonymous, can often be found, maybe a, a bit surprisingly to us, in the small things. Right? So when the destroyed temple was reconstructed, it was not as magnificent as the original Solomonic temple, uh, causing those who remembered it to be sad. But God tells them uh, to not despise, do not despise the small things because uh, God can do arguably prefers to do uh, his mighty work through small things ergo uh, my title big small things right big small things Um, this uh, led me to select um, a passage from the book of Ruth uh, a story about some ordinary people being faithful in small things and then God blessing them big time uh, the really fascinating uh, aspect of the book of Ruth, uh, to me, um, is its place, okay, its place in the flow of God's uh, redemptive history. Uh, in the Old Testament canon, uh, Ruth occupies the space between Judges and 1 Samuel. And, and Now, we might chalk that up to a, a matter of historical chronology, but it's more than that. Um, Ruth is set in the time of the Judges, probably toward the tail end of that era where God raised up judges or leaders who helped uh, Israel overcome oppression uh, from their pagan neighbors. Uh, Unfortunately, despite the deliverance from God through these judges, peace and faithfulness uh, did not last. Faithfulness to God never lasted. So the miserable cycle of deliverance, idolatry, oppression, crying out, and then deliverance again, idolatry. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it repeatedly uh, it repeated itself viciously, again and again. So, you have the judges, and then you have Ruth, and then you have First Samuel, right? First Samuel. Samuel is considered one of the a special figure in Israelite history. He was not only the high priest uh, and a powerful prophet during his tenure, but he's considered the last uh, of the judges uh, in the, in that line. So organizationally uh, the biblical order looks like this slide right we have judges Ruth and first Samuel that's the order and in judges thematically what's happening is uh, that the judges provide temporary assistance but eventually everyone kind of lapses and starts fending for themselves. Everyone does as they see fit. Whatever they want to do, whatever, they may be feel led by God, they may be be led by their emotions, whatever the case, they do what they want to do. There's no real guy. There there was no king at the time is another way it's said. And then in the book of Ruth, uh, it locates itself amongst the judge's time period and even the judge's spirit. Um, But it turns out that this these people, Ruth, Boaz, um, Naomi, right? They're they're a little different, right? They they even though they experience hardship, you see the hand of God in, in their lives, and then they eventually become, right, uh, right? They become Boaz and Ruth get married, and it turns out that their great grandson is King David, King David uh, himself. So David's forebears are introduced and then in 1st Samuel we get the last judge we get the first King Saul who doesn't please God then we get David a man after God's own heart and then the messianic dynasty right the the strongest uh, kind of prophecies for the eternal kingdom through Jesus a future descendant of David David who would reign eternally Uh, he is uh, introduced there so um, yeah, imagine kind of the sweep of the story that, that God is telling. Like Ruth seems a little bit out of place to me. If you just kind of read it, and Tony, you're going to get to it. Keep, keep going, brother, <laughs> press on. Uh, but it's, it's actually very significant, as I was thinking about it, right? Because you have the judges, you have this a very, a, a, a deep, dark, spiritually pathetic time. And then you're going to get like the golden era. You're going to get David and Solomon, at least for a while, they're, they're doing well. Is there, uh, and, I, and I look to Ruth as not just kind of this random out of place story, but actually right there to serve as kind of a transition, transition. So um, this brings me to a helpful conversation I had with a pastor friend this past week. Um, we we're talking about the pandemic, and he shared his perspective that he thinks that we are in the days of judges again, right? We're in the days of judges where everyone does as they fit. Now, in the latter chapters of Judges, uh, there are actually some unprecedented and very disturbing uh, deeds and words being uh, carried out uh, amongst Israel, right? And it proves that human institutions, um, uh, commerce, governments, uh, they could not bring a lasting hope to the people. Even the great judges themselves, it was not a permanent uh, solution, right? And, and, and my friend was, was making the point that similarly, what we've learned through the pandemic is that science, political leaders, human culture, all of our advances, other mainstays uh, that we took for granted, the stock market, whatever, these are incapable of sparing us from this tiny little virus called COVID-19. It pretty much you know, brought us to our knees. It took over our lives. Not only the disease itself, but the fault lines that maybe we're already there, racially, politically, economically, personally, these have begun to rupture, uh, even f- fissure in communities, right, in schools, in countries, in churches, in families. And, and like Naomi's life, which went from bad to worse, we'll, we'll look at it a little bit, our pandemic has really taken a bite, a big bite, right? and it keep, keeps uh, consuming. I think the the joy, the stability that we have uh, enjoyed. As in the time of the judges though, uh, the pandemic I think is an opportunity, or or was, or it remains an opportunity for us to really look only to God, right? To deliver us. Salvation is not gonna come through a human leader or a medical breakthrough or a socio-political victory, Uh, God alone can fix it. (laughs) That's true, God alone can fix it. And the pandemic has, I think, made that uh, crystal clear. So like the desperate Israelites, my friend was saying, we should all be looking to God Crying out to him for something new, something different, something better, right? Maybe it's the second coming, right? Or maybe it's something preparatory for that. But it's a time for each of us to, you know, find that, as uh, the last praise song we sang, God the Lord is the only strength, right, Uh, of my heart. And so this is what drew me to the figures in Ruth. Uh, They experienced a time of distress and upheaval, kind of like us. And pretty terrible things befall um, Naomi's family, but she and Ruth and Boaz they remain faithful in the small things. Small things, and it matched up well with God's sovereign purposes. And so God painted this really bold strokes on His redemptive canvas, right, via the small ways that they practiced their faith in God. So that's a challenge that I want to give through the rest of the sermon: Are we being faithful in the small things? All the while looking to god to do more than we can ask or imagine right, through his grace and power right? so let's look now at the uh, narrative proper in ruth in chapter one I, I think we need to review a little bit uh, here are the main main points right um, of course much can be said about ruth's faith right uh, what, what happens and, and loyalty but i kind of want to just highlight how dark the situation was uh, for Naomi's family. So it was time of the judges already, kind of everything had laid out, how um, spiritually uh, kind of benighted that was. And then there's a food famine. Right? There's a, probably a drought, no food around. So they have to emigrate. They have to relocate to Moab, right? Not a good idea, but they had felt like they had no choice. Naomi, however... Uh, oh, no, before that... Uh, um, they relocated, and then, uh, and the and the, the two sons, Killian and 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 uh, Malan, they got married to Moabite, uh, Steph said it really, Moabites. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and um, they got married, but the father dies, and the two sons die. So here's three women, right? Uh, they're destitute, and they have no legal recourse. So it's a bad, bad. Uh, situation so you know um, Naomi changes her name right says uh, my new name is bitterness and <laughs> you can see it's it's really uh, underst- not only understandable but apt right? what uh, has happened uh, to her yeah and so she decides to go back to Israel and her two daughters-in-law she says you guys can stay here remarry in, in Moab Orpah says thank you and she departs, but somehow Ruth, right? Somehow Ruth uh, decides to stay on, continue with uh, Naomi. I think it's because she saw that Naomi never really lost her faith, She never stopped being faithful from doing what was right in the sight of God. Maybe she blamed God for what was happening to her, but she never took her eyes or stopped depending on the Lord. And And I think that's what made uh, Ruth endear herself to Naomi, that even though things look so bleak, Naomi continued to follow God with halting steps, maybe with nary a smile on her lips, Naomi clung to God. And in turn, Ruth clings to Naomi. Uh, then in chapter two, we see which where we see God orchestrate re- seeming uh, seemingly random events into a tapestry of faithfulness and kindness that showed not only the Lord's local working, right, in Naomi's family, um, but global activity, global activity in the messianic redemption plan for not only Israel, but all of humanity. So let's consider some of those details in chapter two. I'll just go over the verses. Like verse two, right? Ruth just says, you know, I'm gonna go and you know, follow the harvesters and whatever whatever field I'm allowed to go, I'm just going to, you know, pick up the leftovers, right? the things that they leave behind. Right? And then in verse 3, uh, it says that as it turned out, that she found herself working in Boaz's field. And Boaz is, is uh, he's got some money and he's actually related. He's a relative, right? We eventually find out that he's a kinsman redeemer uh, from the same clan as uh, Ruth's father-in-law Elimelech and then verse 4 Boaz just happens to come he's in a different place but he happens to come back I guess to his hometown and uh, he is a man of God the Lord be with you the Lord bless you right they, they experience that so this confluence of events is pretty amazing terms such as as it turned out verse 2 or we might say it's just so happened or serendipitous right people use that word um, some might offer coincidental but I think it's Fair to say it's really big, small things, small things dedicated to God that God was using in a big way, at least in the timing of it all. Um, And then we see the small, steady, and significant thoughts, words, and acts of faithfulness, uh, which these people did, which God noticed. I think he preserved it, and then he multiplied it on a large scale um, not only in chapter 2 but even more so in subsequent chapters so want to look at chapter 2 uh, some of the other verses again for those small things right so in verse 7 she said um, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind uh, the harvesters right and that's what the foreman is saying to Boaz that Ruth said and then she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now she's a hard worker right you know she's not begrudging her situation right she's not afraid as Tony said to do the dirty work to clean up to to pick up the 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 little scraps of of harvest uh, so she and her mother-in-law could eat right and she doesn't slack off she's not a slacker she works steadily and hard right and then we see the a kindness in in Boaz verse 8 right she's she's really a nobody she's a foreigner but he says to her, he says, "You're safe here. I'll, my men won't touch you. Uh, you can hang out with the servant girls, and you can take as much as you, you find." Right. Um, he, so he offers her protection. He offers her some generosity, some kindness. Right. And he says, "If you get thirsty, you can even drink from the from the water cooler, <laughs> basically." Uh, and then we see Ruth. She recognizes, she appreciates this, right? She's grateful. Sometimes grateful, it seems like such a small thing, like you don't have to say thank you or you're welcome or please. But they indicate, right, a certain kind of mindset of the heart. They indicate, you know, what is really important to you, right? And a small thing can really become a big thing because she's thankful that he noticed, he's great, he's merciful uh, to her, even though he doesn't have to be, right? And, uh, he owes her nothing, she's an alien, and yet, she, he extends, uh, uh, her hand of kindness. Eleven, um, then we see that Boaz actually, right? He, he is another person who sees a small thing and understands the significance of it, right? Because he's learned that she lost her husband in Moab, came back with her mother-in-law, uh, under, without, under no obligation, knowing the risks, knowing the hardship uh, facing her, and that it was a, a loving thing, it was a loyal thing uh, for her to do, for Ruth to do. And so Boaz blesses her. May the Lord richly reward you. But he understands that she really, uh, in, in the pandemic terminology, she has really turned to God. And God alone, and he 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 speaks that word of encouragement, right to her. So, so many rich qualities here, right? We could do much more analysis or uh, you know, thinking uh, all that out. But um, what I want to do, right, is to glean, <laughs> pun intended, uh, from these verses uh, that though these qualities are admirable, they they certainly are. They are not super special, they are not unique, they are not like super powerful, superhuman things. They're just kind of small things that you and I learned when we were younger, when we were kids, right? And they, they seem insignificant in the grand scheme of things. It's it should be expected, even normative, that we kind of you know work hard <laughs> and that we appreciate each other, we say thank you. And we show kindness even random kindness to people we we see God's hand we we bless people with what we say maybe it's a sign of our social and moral distress nowadays that this doesn't seem so ordinary the point is that Boaz and Ruth and Naomi right they conducted themselves faithfully and in faith even if it was a small thing right you know uh, the pandemic has made I think just being basically decent and doing what you said you would do and doing what, you know, living before God, right? I think it's made it really hard. In times of adversity, many people indulge themselves, right? Because I think it's because we're so stressed out, we're so afraid that if we don't preserve and protect and think about ourselves, you know, the world is falling apart and then, you know, that makes us all the more anxious and afraid, right? So pleasing God Only God is far from our hearts. But Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, at least, they stay true to God. They keep at it, right? They're faithful in the small things. And and God takes these five loaves and two fish, using a New Testament metaphor, to carry out his larger overarching plan, right? Eventually, uh, Boaz and Ruth become married. Um, There's more acts of kindness involved there. and they become part of the ancestry of King David and uh, Jesus Christ. Now, I doubt that any of these individuals had any, any knowledge, uh, specific knowledge about the big picture. They didn't have some sort of meta perspective about their actions. All they knew was that, you know, God was in their lives, God was real, and so they lived before Him, right? And despite the challenges and setbacks they experienced, they practiced loyalty to the Lord and to each other, And they carried this out day in and day out. No one needed to police them or even check up on them. Even though it was was hard, great personal cost, great personal risk, they're faithful in the small things, whether anyone was aware of it or not. Their faith was that God was aware of it. And that's why we should do small things. No one might notice. It might not be a big deal. But God pays attention, right? Not only to our grand gestures, do that but to our small, faltering, daily uh, acts of of faith, of consistency, of goodness, uh, of love. Their faith was that God was aware of it, and that was enough. Their faith was that God was working, that his energy was active, even if there were very few visible signs. So I say to myself and to you, let's keep, doing, let's continue to be faithful in the small things. Coil the speaker cable. Hold your tongue. Pray for the salvation of that person that you've been praying for since you can remember. Put away your kids' toys, even though they don't listen. (laughs) You've told them a thousand times. Uh, Meet that person that needs your time and and, uh, attention Uh, be long-suffering even though it's been hard it's been burdensome you don't see a way out but if God hasn't um, given you the next step be long-suffering be vulnerable right don't protect your heart don't don't crawl into your shell because You know, your heart has been hurt or it's at risk. Um, Read your Bible all year. (laughs) Don't cut corners. Wash those dishes that pile up. Uh, Dishes are like, they're the most powerful thing in terms of multiplication, man. That and laundry. Swallow your pride. Commit daily to work at 6 a.m. Forgive 70 times seven. Bless, do not curse, be there for your friend, but your tongue tithe cheerfully. Come early, stay late, uh, be kind. Text that difficult friend who's ghosted you. Yeah. Be faithful in the small things. Help that person you know, help that person you don't know. Lend a hand. Uh, yesterday, I just was like, I, was, I met somebody and I was coming back, writing up, going to my Elevator, and this lady that I kind of know just in passing, she kind of just comes up to me and says, Do you have the number to the uh, Morningside Garden security? Because I locked myself out and I'm barefoot, and and, and, uh, so I need that number, right? No hello, no how you doing, is it cold outside? It was just very kind of, she accosted me, I think is the right word. And so I, you know, I. I told you guys I've been trying to get to know my neighbors, write their names down, pray for them, eventually invite them to coffee maybe at my house. And so I see this lady, and she's not the nicest lady. Uh, you know, she doesn't say hi. she I saw her once come down <laughs> and, like, dump some trash in a, in a big trash can and like it was Legos or something like that I think it was some sort of toy and they were like spilling over the place she just went back up in the elevator right. So you know I just like this, this person doesn't really like you know I'm not sure I really want to help them but you know I, I had my phone and so I, 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 I had the security office uh, as on, on my um, contact list. But that was the old phone i didn't have it so i told her that and i said but i'll look on so i started looking on the website and like our website sucks uh, and, and stuff so it took me forever to do that and finally i got the uh the management so you know i called them and and then like you know i let her talk to the lady and it took like 10 minutes our management office was like oh we can't find the security you know uh, phone number it's not on our are she not, and then like, you know, she's getting frustrated and I grab the phone and I like, I start like advocating for her. I go, what kind of management, comes? this lady is barefoot and you know, she's got two kids and I, you know, I started like defending her and stuff like that. Another guy comes down and she grabs onto him and says, do you have the security? And finally he locates the number and you know, she starts talking on his phone while I'm talking to the management office on my phone. 10 minutes, 15 minutes go by. Finally, she gets in touch with the security office. She turns around and walks away. Not a thank you not a uh you know appreciate your time My elevator was here so i just went up right now i don't want you guys to be abused or don't don't waste time if you don't think that's do it but i just felt like hey, this is a small thing right and if i really ever have a chance to share the gospel with this lady or her family maybe that would be a nice story Do you remember <laughs> that one saturday when you know i spent 15 minutes and you didn't say thank you right that's how we treat jesus right Uh, something like that Uh, even today um, Clarice had me uh, had ordered some for Joyland they're gonna do the rice bowls ministry which is I think collect change for kids orphan children that'll that will buy food for them and stuff and then so you know this box came to the office and so I brought it to give to her and on the box it says we believe in the power of small a few weeks a bit of effort and some pocket change provide the uh, provide thousands of critical meals, uh, love and protection. Uh, oh, I can't read my writing. Protection uh, for children, uh, for orphan children, all around the world. That's cool, right? Because that's what I was thinking about. And then, and I brought it. I go, oh, they. This is this this. Articulates exactly what I want to say. Okay, I'm going to wrap up with just two stories from this past week uh, and exam- examples of small faithful living that blessed me. Right? One of them is a pastor, uh, his name's Don Ray, he's upstate, um, a pastor of a small local church. Uh, both of us are part of a weekly prayer call that's been going on about four years. We pray together, about five or six of us. He's in his 70s now, and he'll retire soon, but he's, a, he's, he's quite the evangelist, and um, he's very active, especially in like, visiting sick people and serving the community. He's, like a, he'll, he's always talking about being a volunteer fireman. For about three to four weeks, every week, sometimes there's only prayer requests, but definitely every week, we've, he's requested that we pray uh, that God will provide funds, money, for... Um, a ministry center he, like they were giving out clothes and and, and pa- food pantry and they're running out of room in their own church building so he wanted to build an add-on right but it took i think the estimate was like 30 dollars uh, to do that but he felt like this is what god wanted them to do so he kept praying that god would provide funds right i think compass actually uh gave contributed a little bit years ago from our special mission offering fund but he's been asking for god for that and he actually like reported going down to the south where there's some large churches, Baptist churches, and um, other, you know, organizations, uh, but I don't think he got much from them. He tried to do their pitch and, and, and see if the Lord was leading them, but they couldn't contribute them. And she talked a lot about, like, using different materials, like, you know, kind of like a trailer or stuff or different wood or, you know, all, the, all he's just like just including us in all the, all the details and really asking for prayers. And at times, it almost felt like he was going to give up. It was just like he's not going to be able to get enough to gather sufficient funds, and like I said, he was going to retire soon. But he was so faithful. He was so like persistent widow about it, right really knocking on God's door. Um, right? Well, this past Friday, he reported uh, that uh, there was a slew of people in his congregation getting sick, uh, some of them emergency surgery, even a death, right in the extended family of one of his um, Uh, people who go to who attend uh, his church and this this person who died the deceased was actually a strong Christian she'd written a lot of personal prayers and you could tell that she really loved the Lord and she had left the person who attended pastor Don's church a pretty sizable inheritance and so as this lady uh, as she felt like uh, she's actually not a professed believer yet she's been coming but she's not like I'm a I'm a Christian just yet maybe soon but she said, when I saw what my sister did, and I, and I thought about, I wanted to really do something that would honor her legacy, and I thought about this building that you've been talking about forever, <laughs> right? And she goes, I wanted to give uh, what I could to that. And I think she gave a sizable donation. And it, he says, I, he thinks, the Pastor Don said, he thinks it's enough to allow them to break ground, right? Break ground in the spring. So it was like a really happy, joyful uh, Friday prayer. And as I was thinking about the message, I go, wow, what a testament to f- small things, right? Just a, just a small, you know, upstate Geneseo kind of uh, uh, um, um, with, a, with, a, with a heart, right? But God took like, his two passions. His two passions, I think, is helping people who are in need, like elderly and the sick, and also this community center, and allowing it to come, because as he was ministering to that family because they lost, uh, you know, a relative, and in the process, God brought these together to do a big thing, at least in the the relatively big thing in their lives. Uh, Yeah, a shining example in my mind. The context for the last example is uh, kind of the ongoing racial struggles in our society, right? Uh, I don't know if you must have heard of it, but it's troubling troubling to learn about the stabbing death of uh, Christina Lee. Um, she's an artist, I think, artist type, who actually Mona's nephew, Jeff, uh, kind of knew her quite well. He's not here, he's in California now, but anyway, she got uh, murdered in Chinatown in her apartment last week. I think the current un- belief is that a homeless person, possibly with mental illness, may have followed her into her apartment, forced his way in, and then killed her. Uh, it's renewed uh, concerns that homelessness, mental health problems, uh, especially in this like, predominantly Asian neighborhood, it's been ignored for too long. So uh, there's a lot of fear and I think despair. Um, and, and Which brings me to a book that I've started reading lately, uh, written by uh, a, a black Christian um, a lady, uh, Austin Channing Brown. It's titled, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. She describes her experiences growing up, being educated and working in a world permeated by the assumptions and normativity of American white culture. Uh, It's been a great read, pretty great read so far. Uh, particularly challenging is her um, description of how non-black people, uh, uh, even in their efforts to be more racially aware, uh, actually fail to realize how deep-seated and unexamined uh, racism is in practices, assumptions, and beliefs. So at one workplace, she got hired her hr rep sat her down and said that their company was really kind of racially progressive really wanted to make the working environment bias free and welcomed her to report any concerns uh, she may have had so when she you know did when she saw some stuff and just you know they actually pushed back and said oh you're being too sensitive Um, you're expecting too much uh, too fast and so this is an example she writes uh, within my first few weeks of coming of working there the organization stereotypes biases or prejudice, prejudices began to emerge comments about my hair accolades for being quote surprisingly articulate unquote or double quote uh, particularly entertaining close quote uh, requests to be more black in my speech questions about single moms the hood black on black crime and other hot topics that I'm supposed to know all about because um, I'm black. It's really piercing when you hear about, you know, someone who's, you know, uh, gone through the American experience, maybe like us, but, you know, has to face this on a uh, regular basis. What, What struck me most in the context of today's sermon prep was despite the disappointment she feels and the exhausting toll these stereotypes exact upon her, In in her effort to try to help people understand, she keeps pressing on. Uh, She says this, but instead of giving up, I take a step back. I continue to talk about how when I walk into our church, people still ask me if I'm looking for the food pantry. How they greet me as a newcomer every Sunday, even though I've not changed my seat in two years. And then she offers this glimmer of hope. I can't let go of my belief in church, in a universal body of belonging, in a community that reaches toward love in a world so often filled with hate. I continue to be drawn towards the collective participation of seeking good, even when that means critiquing the institution that I love for its commitment to whiteness. Hmm. I find myself actually feeling grateful for Uh, people like Ms. Brown, every day, maybe multiple times per day, she has to, you know, help people, often Christian people at that, to uh, learn a better way, a more biblical way to understand, right, the image of God, Imago Dei. But uh, this commitment to being faithful, right, even if it entails emotional hardship, maybe even under the threat of harm or hatred, right to progress towards uh more racial uh fairness like it's a big small thing right if everyone did this right i really feel like there we have a chance we have hope to maybe over uh come this yeah uh so um i want to take us into prayer now um maybe there's a a bunch of small things that uh, uh, you've kind of jumped into your mind as we've been talking. Um, Or maybe it's this uh, like uh, the burden of the pandemic, right? The time of the judges that you're, we're we're, we're drowning or sinking in. Um, Yeah, let's really use the example that we see here. The examples that that I kind of gave it, especially at the end of the message to really ask God to help us be faithful in the small things and then take it, use it for his bigger purposes. Whether we're aware of it or not, we dedicate it to him. Lord, we want to just um, uh, consider our lives, consider our home life, consider our work lives, consider our church lives, and ask whether um, we've really um, consciously even uh, been uh, thinking about and been faithful to doing small things that either we're just uh, responsible for that that's just what we have to do or because you assigned them to us uh, because you told us you gave us the one talent or the three talents or, or two talents or whatever and have we been exercising them the way that you've been wanting us to exercise it or have we been just just wasting time just being selfish just feeling sorry for ourselves Uh, Through this pandemic, oh Lord, help us to go back to um, The resiliency that we see in someone like Naomi who lost everything gained Ruth and Stuck to you clung to you and you just Worked out so much good in her lives in her life Someone like Ruth who had nothing going for her except maybe hard work, maybe uh, a, a merciful a landowner, someone like Boaz, who could have done what he wanted with his wealth and his money. He could have abused people, but he took it slow. He took it humbly, and he trusted you and did it right. And the result was someone in in the future, a line like King David's. Oh Lord, um, I don't know where what we're... Specifically struggling with, but we ask that you can help us uh, regain the appreciation for your assignment in our lives, all the responsibilities that you've privileged us with, and help us to find the strength and the and the and, and the faith and and the uh, diligence uh, to keep at it. And then, in turn, in your time, in your way, we see um, community centers built, we see racism overcome, we see the kingdom of God come again, maybe in, uh, soon in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for our time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.